The end is near, and we're coming through the end of 2 Kings, and uh, Carl F. Henry, uh, you know, he writes, we live in the twilight of a great civilization amid the deepening decline of modern cultures, those strange beast empires of the books of Daniel and Revelation seem already to be stalking and sprawling over the surface of the earth. That's Carl F. H. Henry. I don't know much about him, but uh, he had made that statement. And similar words could also be said of the last, uh, really the final kings uh, of Manasseh, Ammon, and Josiah, some of the, uh, during Judah's days. And the, Jew nation, the Jewish nation had had a great witness. And they'd been a witness to one of the, you know, the one and true and living God. They'd had much light. They'd had God do tremendous things. And now many of the people are worshiping foreign gods. Israel gave the world the prophets and the scriptures. We have the Old Testament today because of the, old, of the Jewish people. Uh, they have preserved it for us and the scribes. And, and uh, most of the leaders of Judah no longer would listen to God's word. Josiah... Uh, was Judah's last good king. Now, there were a few after him, but they were not good. And the Lord had covenanted to protect David's throne. I'm just kind of laying out a little bit of framework. The future of God's uh, plan of redemption for a lost world, uh, you know, rested with a faithful remnant. Think about this. As churches and, and professing churches are changing today, there are fewer and fewer bold Christians for Christ. There are those that are calling you unto all sorts of things, but those who are actually bold for Jesus Christ, standing upon the Word of God, there becomes a remnant. Uh, resist the inroads of a pagan culture. Resist the inroads of the very things of idolatry, and this remnant will remain true to the Lord. And uh, God's promise in Second Chronicles 7, uh, 14, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray... And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Heal their land. Second Chronicles 7.14 And all of the kings we're going to talk about today, Manasseh, Ammon, and Josiah, they needed to learn humility. You know, humility is painful. And Manasseh was one of those, he's the most wicked king, 55 years on Judah's throne. One of the most wicked, and it was almost too late for him, uh, but to humble himself, and yet he did. Hey, Calvin, Ammon never did submit to the Lord, and uh, Josiah truly humbled himself before the Lord and was used in a great spiritual awakening. God used a young king. And uh, let's look at uh, a few things here. I know I said 2 Kings 21. Let's look at 2 Chronicles 33. We'll come back to 2 Kings 21 here. Uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 33, verse 12. In 2 Chronicles, chapter 33, verse 12. Manasseh was, obviously, this is a kind of an account of Manasseh being humbled. Manasseh was a king, as I said, 55 years. He did exceeding wickedness. He caused his children to pass through the fire. His children were burned on the fires of, uh, you know, kind of uh, Molech and Chemosh. And just, it was, he was a wicked, wicked man. I mean, he... He just made the land an apostate place. In 2 Chronicles 33, 12, And when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. Now, 
Look with me at verse 11. Why is he humbling himself? Wherefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the host of the king of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him with fetters and carried him to Babylon. What a humbling state. You go from being a king, you go from being in charge, and now you're in chains at the whim of the very individuals who will destroy your land. And he would see the destruction come in his day, and there's nothing he could do about it. In verse 19, well, in verse 15, and he took away the strange gods and the idol out of the house of the Lord and all the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem and cast them out of the city. Well, after his humility, he finally says, uh-oh, I've really made God mad. God's angry at me. I have sinned fiercely, and, and, and I have sinned grossly against the God who delivered us out of Egypt, who got us into the promised land. Verse 19, his prayer also and how God was entreated of him, and all his sins and his trespass, and the places wherein he built high places, and set up groves and graven images before he was humbled, Behold, they are written among the sayings of the seers, and the very prophets here. Verse 23, a little bit further. And uh, let's look at verse 21. Ammon was two and twenty years old when he began to reign, and reigned two years in Jerusalem. But he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, as did Manasseh his father. For Ammon sacrificed unto all the carved images which Manasseh his father had made and served them. A father sets an example for his children, and Ammon followed the ungodly direction of his father. Then in verse 23, and he humbled not himself before the Lord, as Manasseh his father had humbled himself, but Ammon trespassed more and more. Ammon was one of those very figures who would not, he would see affliction, he would see trouble, he would see strife, and yet he was not willing to humble himself. Manasseh set a very bad example for his kids, and it wasn't until he was near the end of his life he, God finally got a hold of him. But his kids' hearts had already been stuck and set in the path of idolatry and paganism. They had had too much exposure to evil that that was the path of comfort for them, and so they went in the very paths of evil. As their parents, as Ammon, as Manasseh would be a very evil, wicked king. Now, we come to pass <coughs> of Josiah, and uh, let's look at verse uh, uh, 18 of Second Chronicles 34. This is about Josiah here. Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath given me a book, and Shaphan read it before the king. Now, they're in the temple, they're, they're looking around. How is it that they're looking, they find a book, they find the Old Testament scriptures that they had at that time. It's pretty amazing that the book had gone into just being a part of the library. The Bible was not used, the scriptures were not read, the people had, did not have the knowledge of God, the scriptures were sealed up and hidden behind the walls of the temple. What a terrible place to be. Verse 19, it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the law that he rent his clothes. Josiah begins to read as the, the words of God are read to him and he weeps because he says, uh-oh, we're in a bad condition. You know what the word of God has a place in our lives in humility? And this is just setting forth some of the 
Manasseh, Ammon, and Josiah. And I'm going to talk a little bit further about them, but you find here, what does the Word of God do? The Word of God convicts of sin. 2 Chronicles 34, uh, verse 27, Because of the humility of Josiah, because thine heart was tender, and thou didst humble thyself before God, when thou heardest his words against this place, and against the inhabitants thereof, and humbledst thyself before me, and didst rend thy clothes, and weep before me, I have even heard thee also, saith the Lord. God hears the tears of brokenness. God hears And here is Josiah, he's weeping for himself, he's weeping for the nation, because he realizes that God's judgment will be pressed out upon them. And God hears a broken person, a broken and contrite heart. J.A.W. Tozer said, True humility is a healthy thing. The humble man accepts the truth about himself. It is a proud man that will not accept the truth about his position, about his demeanor. And as we think on these very truths today, let's start off with Manasseh. And uh, 2 Kings chapter 21. I'm going to read a little bit lengthier section here and uh, kind of give us the life of Manasseh. Manasseh, verse 1 of 2 Kings 21. 2 Kings 21. He was humiliated by affliction. Never have someone in your life, do you ever know of anyone, or maybe it's happened in your own personal life, that it wasn't until you came under great affliction, you came under great trouble and struggles of life, that you actually came to a place of humility before God in a realization that you needed Him. That he is the one that was in control. Verse 1 of 2 Kings chapter 21. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign and reigned 50 and 5 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Hephzibah. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. So the very thing that he does is he returns. Israel back in Joshua's time had removed the Canaanites out of the land. What did, what did uh, uh, Manasseh do? He did exactly what the Canaanites, whom Israel dispossessed, Israel pushed out, shoved out, and fought against. He goes back to the very thing that would remove the Canaanites from the land. Verse 3, For he built up again the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed, and he reared up altars for Baal, and made a grove as did Ahab king of Israel, and worshipped all the host of heaven, and served them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, which the Lord said in Jerusalem, will I put my name. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. He's bringing astrology into the temple, the worship of the stars. What a terrible thing to do. And he made his sons pass through the fire and observe times and use enchantments and dealt with familiar spirits and wizards. He wrought much wickedness in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And he set a graven image of the grove that he had made in the house of which the Lord said to David and to Solomon his son, In this house and in Jerusalem which I have chosen, out of all tribes of Israel will I put my name forever. Neither will I make the feet of Israel move any more out of the land which I gave their fathers, only if they will observe to do according to all that I have commanded them. And according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. But they hearken not, 
And Manasseh seduced them. What a, what a statement there. It said they, he seduced them. He's enticing them with their desires of what they want. Hey, it'll feel good. You should do this. He seduces them to do more evil than did the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the children of Israel. Manasseh led the nation of Judah to do more evil, paganism, idolatry than the Canaanites. Can you imagine having that written on your tombstone? Uh, of just the idea, or someone in a eulogy of a funeral talking about, yeah, they led the people to be more disobedient, more rebellious against God than were the people that were here before you. I mean, this guy is all evil. And the Lord spake by his servants, the prophets, saying, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, hath done these abominations, and hath done wickedly above all that the Amorites did, which were before him, and hath made Judah also to sin with his idols, therefore thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such evil upon Jerusalem and Judah, that whosoever heareth of it, both his ears shall tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the line of Samaria, and the plummet of the house of Ahab, and I will wipe Jerusalem as a man wipeth a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. And I will forsake the remnant of mine inheritance, and deliver them into the hand of their enemies. And they shall become a prey and a spoil to all their enemies, because they have done that which was evil in my sight, and have provoked me to anger, since the day their fathers came forth out of Egypt, even unto this day. God is saying, Israel, from the time of their deliverance to the present, continually provoked him to anger. They continually disobeyed the Lord. Disobedience will bring God's anger. Moreover, Manasseh shed innocent blood very much till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another beside his sin, wherewith he made Judah to sin, in doing that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and all that he did in his sin that he sinned, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the king of Judah, kings of Judah? And Manasseh slept with his fathers and was buried in the garden of his own house in the garden of Uzzah, and Ammon his son reigned in his stead. They don't say much. And Second Kings doesn't talk about his recovery and his return to the Lord, but he was born in about the year 709. He would have started reigning about seven years old when his father was healed, Hezekiah. And, uh, you know, it's amazing that a godly king could have such a wicked son, and yet a Ammon, who would be a very wicked son, would have one of the godliest, Josiah, and a, a, a great revival. And so not necessarily does the parent mean that a child has to become either wicked or good. No, obviously they set a good foundation, but as we see in the case of Manasseh, he did not follow his father's steps. Now we know that in the latter years of Hezekiah's reign, Hezekiah uh, was filled with much pride. And that did a great deal of damage, I would say, upon Manasseh. Many scholars think that Manasseh was possibly co-regent uh, with his father for perhaps 10 years, maybe from the, from the age of uh, 12 to 22. And, uh, but the remarkable thing is he became the most wicked king in Judah's history. He is so much so that he is blamed for the fall of the southern kingdom. It is from Manasseh that we really learn, and, and there in Daniel's time, that Manasseh would be the reason that God was finally said, I'm done using Israel. You know, there would be a few more kings 
before they were finally totally destroyed, but Manasseh's evil and wickedness would bring God's harsh, exterminating judgment upon them. I mean, they would go into captivity. Many were killed because of the evil of the leadership of Manasseh. A leader who goes astray out of the Lord will bring destruction for all who follow them. Look with me at Jeremiah 15, 1 through 4. <clears throat> Jeremiah 15, 1 through 4. Before you get there, I'm going to read 2 Samuel 24, 3. Surely at the command of the Lord came this upon Judah to remove them out of his sight for the sins of Manasseh according to all that he did. God says, I'm going to remove Judah out of my sight. I would not want to be responsible for a nation to be destroyed. And God would take the leadership of this king who was very evil and he reigned for an extremely long time, the longest of Israel's history. Here in Jeremiah 15, 1-4, Then said the Lord unto me, Though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my mind could not be toward this people. Cast them out of my sight, and let them go forth. And it shall come to pass, if they say unto thee, Whither shall we go forth? Then thou shalt tell them, Thus saith the Lord, Such as are for death to death, and such as are for the sword to the sword, and such as are for the famine to the famine, and such as are for the captivity to the captivity, and I will appoint over them four kinds, saith the Lord, the sword to slay, and the dogs to tear, and the fowls of the heaven, and the beasts of the earth to devour and destroy. And I will cause them to be removed into all kingdoms of the earth. Look at this next statement. Because of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, for that which he did in Jerusalem. Judah scattered all over the world because of Manasseh's sins, and Israel is still reaping those consequences today. People say that God, yes, God is loving, God is caring, God wants to be compassionate and peaceful, but there's also a side of God where He demands obedience, He desires obedience, and disobedience will bring unintended pain, sorrow, and suffering. And Manasseh's wickedness, he lived such an ungodly life. In fact, let's look at 2 Chronicles chapter 33. We read some of this here in 2 Chronicles chapter 33. How would you like, you know, someday if you were to stand before the Lord, and, you know, as Manasseh will have to someday in the final judgment, and give an account that his actions would lead to thousands of years of suffering for the Jewish people. What a harsh indictment. <clears throat> and as we find here, a verse, I'll, re, I'll just kind of abbreviate this, but uh, verse 1, Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 50 and 5 years in Jerusalem. Verse 6 Actually, verse 5, and he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he caused his children to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom also. He observed times and used enchantments and used witchcraft 
and dealt with a familiar spirit and with wizards, he wrought much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And he set a carved image, the idol which he had made in the house of God, of which God had said to David and Solomon, his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen before all the tribes of Israel, I put my name forever. I mean, you talk about someone that wants a spit in the face of God. You come into the temple and you set up carved images, you set up altars to other deities because of the filth of what Manasseh built up. All that Hezekiah had destroyed, Manasseh built up and enlarged it further. He made a detestable idol which he would place in the temple. He encouraged the people to worship all the starry hosts. Let's look at verse 15. After his affliction, after his affliction, and he took away the strange gods and the idol out of the house of the Lord and all the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord in Jerusalem and cast them out of the city. It wasn't until after he had been afflicted, after God got a hold of him. The question to ask this morning is, what does God need to do in your life to get your attention? Because the very things that he is doing, let's look at Deuteronomy here a little bit further at this idea of the starry hosts of which he is giving uh, 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 worship. He's giving them reverence to the stars, the very creations we know from Romans chapter 1, uh, that, that man willfully knows there's a God, but yet he denies him. Romans chapter, or excuse me, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 19, And lest thou lift up thine eyes into heaven, and when thou seest the sun and the moon and the stars, even all the hosts of heaven, shouldest be driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord thy God hath divided unto all nations under the whole heaven. Look at verse chapter 17 of Deuteronomy. God does not want his creation to receive any adoration. Now, if I'm going to uh, appreciate the beauty of the heavens, appreciate the beauty of the stars and say glory to God, God is all about that. But God does not want me to replace the adoration of him for the adoration of the creation that he made. Deuteronomy 17 Verse 1, Thou shalt not sacrifice in the Lord thy God any bullock or sheep wherein is blemish, or any evil favoredness, for that is an abomination to the Lord thy God. If there be found among you within any of thy gates which the Lord thy God giveth thee, man or woman, that hath wrought wickedness in the sight of the Lord thy God, in transgressing his covenant, and hath gone and served other gods, and worshipped them, either the sun or a moon, or any of the hosts of heaven which I have not commanded, and it be told thee, and thou hast heard of it, and inquired diligently, and behold, it be true. And the thing certain that such abomination is wrought in Israel, then shalt thou bring forth that man or that woman, which have committed that wicked thing into thy gates, even that man or that woman, and shalt stone them with stones till they die at the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses. Shall he that is worthy of death be put to death, but at the mouth of one witness he shall not be put to death. The hands of the witnesses shall be first upon him to put him to death, and afterwards the hands of all people. So thou shalt put the evil away from among you. What do you think God's saying? God is saying here, as we look at this, God says, I don't want any worship to the stars, the sun, the moon, any part of creation. 
So this idea of giving reverence to an animal or giving reverence to some celestial deity is an absolute slap in the face of our almighty God. Let's look at 2 Kings chapter 16, verses 10 through 16. There was only to be one altar in the court, but Manasseh had added various altars, and he dedicated them. In God's house, he would dedicate them. And uh, thus made Jehovah, you know, one God among many. Well, God doesn't want to be a God among many. He is the God. And if we should bring any adoration to anything else, then we are saying, we're believing in a pluralism, which is in complete uh, contradiction and against the word of God. 2 Kings chapter 16, verse 10, And King Ahaz went to Damascus, to meet Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, and saw an altar that was at Damascus, and King Ahaz sent to Urijah the priest of the fashion of the altar and the pattern of it according to all the workmanship thereof. And Urijah the priest built an altar according to all that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus. So Urijah the priest made it again king, made it against King Ahaz, uh, came from Damascus. And when the king was come from Damascus, the king saw the altar, and the king approached to the altar and offered thereon. And he offered his burnt offering and his meat offering and poured his drink offering and sprinkled the blood of his peace offerings upon the altar. And he brought also the brazen altar, which was before the Lord, from the forefront of the house, from between the altar and the house of the Lord, and put it on the north side of the altar. And King Ahaz commanded Urijah the priest, saying, Upon the great altar burn the morning burnt offering, and the evening meat offering, and the king's burnt sacrifice, and his meat offering with the burnt offering of all the people of the land, and their meat offering, and their drink offerings, and sprinkle upon it all the blood of the burnt offering, and all the blood of the sacrifice, and the brazen altar shall be for me to inquire by. What happens here is they go in, they say, hey, there's a beautiful altar uh, of the pagans. Let's go and look at the king of Damascus, the king of Syria, and see what kind of altar. Man, it's a beautiful, it's the most beautiful altar I've ever seen. Let's mimic that here. I want you to get all the dimensions. I want you to get all the specifications, and we're going to recreate that here. Well, Manasseh builds these altars in the house of the Lord. He goes and commits unbelievable abomination before the Lord. It is an abomination to set up idols with which God has said, these ought not to be in my house. Because in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 20, And the Lord hath performed his word that he spake, and I am risen up in the room of David my father, and sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised, and have built a house for the name of the Lord God of Israel. The temple, as Solomon is saying here, was dedicated to God. Should we ever take God's house, this house, and begin to do things in here that are against the word of God, we are doing exactly the same as Manasseh did. And churches today, over and over again, begin to incorporate things that they see out in the world, they bring them into the church, and they do use them, and it's not according to God's word, it's not according to what God wants, and so they're again creating idolatry in the house of God, and where God's people are assembling, and we find a great abomination. In verse 29 of 1 Kings chapter 8, that thine eyes may be open toward this house night and day, even toward the place of which thou hast said, my name shall be there. Thou mayest hearken to the prayer which thy servant shall make toward this place. 
Solomon, he has this very long prayer, and he says, God, if we sin against you and we pray back towards the temple, I pray that you'd hear our prayer. I pray that you'd heal us. I pray that you would help us. I pray that we could get right and, and uh, we would get back into the place we need to be so that your heart is perpetually upon this house. But Manasseh follows the religion of Molech, causing his sons to pass through the altar fire. I don't know one parent, a loving parent, but they could take their child and they could lay them on the altar and there's the child perishing at the fires of a pagan deity. I could never do that with my daughter, but we also find something else. He consults with spiritists and mediums. Mediums. There's a great whoredom there. In 2 Kings 21, as we talked about observing times, and you're a, there's an astrological calendar, and at this time of year, the, the, the stars are going to align, and this is going to happen. But my friend, if we begin to follow that, or we're going down the idea of good luck, well, I don't want to follow good luck. I don't want a familiar spirit, uh, a demon that will uh, be one that's familiar with my family, one that's familiar with the lineage, one that begins to tempt and terrorize families. And with wizards, those who are uh, doing potions and giving uh, herbal things and all these sorts of things with a spiritual value attached to them, it is much wickedness in the sight of the Lord to provoke Him to anger. We find that Christians... Uh, there is uh, yoga and this new age and all of these things are pushing into a spiritual realm of achieving some uh, spiritual euphoria, but this yoga, which is new age, is completely evil and wicked, and Christians ought not to have anything to do with this very thing. There's a lot of other things. We can say these chants and these mantras and these things that begin to take our hearts away from God. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 31, Regard not them that have familiar spirits, neither seek after wizards to be filed by them. I am the Lord your God. The very, I've heard that some of the things that have happened up here, they've told me, they said when, when, a, moose is, uh, uh, when a moose is killed, for those who are partaking of a spiritual uh, action, they will take the hide of that moose, they'll hang it up in the trees so that the spirits will reward them the next year. That is spiritism, and then that is not of God. It is a divination. If someone is using particular uh, divination, even in smudging and these kinds of things, uh, you're creating, asking for these spirits to come. You're uh, potentially, you know, some people might want some particular things that they're doing and they're using, uh, I want you to do this potion. I want you to do these certain things and, and you'll cause something evil. I want to put a curse upon someone else who has hurt me and so I'm going to go through these actions. These are the very things. These are nothing new. And there's all these sorts of things today. They're repackaged as some new remedy to giving you the peace for life. But that's nothing new. Let's look at me at Deuteronomy chapter 18. You see, there is no end to evil once you get away from an obedience to the Lord. There's no limitation to how far we can get away from God when we go our own way. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 10, 
There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or that useth divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer, that's a person that speaks with the dead. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth, doth drive them out from before thee. Could it be that those very civilizations that partake of these things that God will afflict? And God in His mercy would send prophets. Some of these witnesses were killed. And God reminded His people that their enjoyment of the land depended on their obedience to the law of God. You see, Christian, the blessings in our lives are dependent upon our obedience to Him. The judgment had already fallen on the northern kingdom and we don't know which prophets would you know, deliver the message, but nobody could misunderstood what they had told Manasseh. In 2 Kings 21, 12, Therefore thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such evil upon Jerusalem and Judah that whosoever heareth of it, both his ears shall tingle. What would you do if you knew that God would bring a fierce, evil, wicked nation against where we're at now. What would you do? We know that it's coming. We know that there's a great judgment coming, a frightening response. And Jeremiah would talk about, hear ye the word of the Lord. That idea there of tingle or tickle uh, is meaning to tingle, to quiver related to the word symbols and bells, but the very thing that we're seeing here is they would hear the news of the approaching Babylonian army and it'd be like hearing a sudden clash of symbols there in Jeremiah's day as the Babylonians would come in. He says, Don't, give yourself up. Surrender yourself to the Babylonians. They will hear you. They will, uh, you need to just follow what I'm saying. Jeremiah said, follow advice and you'll save yourself. They said, no, we'll find our own solution to healing this problem. We're going to go to Egypt. We're going to go here. We're going to go there. And you have a frightening response. But Jeremiah was calling for wake up, wake up. And he'd use a second image to waken them up, to get their attention. Like a careful builder, he would measure uh, the nation with a plumb line. But the very measuring would be the tearing down and not for building up of that land. In Isaiah chapter 34, turn with me here to Isaiah It does not pay to live in disobedience of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 34, verse 11. Verse 10 of Isaiah 34. It shall not be quenched night nor day. The smoke thereof shall go up forever. From generation to generation it shall lie waste. None shall pass through it forever and ever. But the cormorant and the bittern shall possess it. The owl also and the raven shall dwell in it. He shall stretch upon it the line of confusion and the stones of emptiness. Here is God's judgment against a people that <clears throat> God's vengeance we like to hear, I, I, you know, I was even reading recently in Jeremiah, as so I'm still doing my devotions there, and 
the idea is these false prophets are saying peace is coming, God is for us, and God is for us. But if I only preach the peace and the blessings of God, but I never say, what happens if I disobey? I never give a warning. Then we are negligent of what God's called us to do. Amos chapter 7 talks about a plumb line. And uh, Amos chapter 7, verse 17, Therefore thus saith the Lord, Thy wife shall be an harlot in this city, and thy sons and thy daughters shall fall by the sword, and thy land shall be divided by line, and thou shalt die in a polluted land, and Israel shall surely go into captivity forth of his land. God is telling Israel, he says, listen, Judah, he says, your sons and your daughters, your daughters and sons will be taken away, your wives will become harlots to others, they're going to be, uh, you know, just, there's going to be chaos. God is just in what he does, and people deserve what they deserve, just as he gave Israel what she deserved. And the third picture that we find comes from the kitchen when God would empty the kingdom of Judah and he, just as a person would wipe water, wipe all the water out of a dish after washing it. And so they get this idea of uh, Jeremiah 51, 3-4. Nebuchadrezzar, the king of Babylon, hath devoured me. He hath crushed me. He hath made me an empty vessel. He hath swallowed me up like a dragon. He hath filled his belly with my delicates. He hath cast me out. As you come back to our passage of Scripture in 2 Kings chapter 21, verse 14. 2 Kings 21, 14. I'll give you a moment to turn there if you have it. We find an interesting word that is used. God uses the word forsake. Now that word forsake means to give over to Judgment. It would be like a parent whose child becomes so disorderly that they begin to become in trouble with the law and the parent says, I will no longer stand in the gap to help you. I will forsake you. I'll give you over to judgment. In verse 14 of 2 Kings 21, And I will forsake the remnant of mine inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies, and they shall become a prey and a spoil to all their enemies. I can't even think about that very idea of God forsaking his people. But he forsakes them. He forsakes his blessings. He forsakes his hand of protection because of evil and wickedness. Now I'm going to have to, I'm not quite done uh, with this, but I'm going to have to conclude here. Let's look at uh, just one final passage, 2 Samuel 7, and then I'm going to have to go make, pick some people up. 2 Samuel chapter 7. You got him? Do you know where uh, uh, Norman is too? Okay. All right. Uh, so in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 23, What one nation the earth is like thy people, even like Israel, whom God went to redeem for a people to himself, and to make him a name, and to do for you great things and terrible? For the land before thy people, which thou redeemest to thee from Egypt, from the nations and their gods, 
For thou hast confirmed to thyself thy people, Israel, to be a people unto thee forever. And thou, Lord, art become their God. Israel was God's people. And yet they had turned their hearts. We're going to read about next week of Manasseh's repentance. And uh, it's an amazing story. Not next week, but when we do Sunday school again. And uh, I trust today as you think upon this, my actions and my livelihood has uh, consequences. If I live in disobedience to God, even though I'm saved and God's child, wrong actions will have, wrong con- will have bad consequences. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness and grace. Uh, Father, I yield all that is said and done to thee. God, I need your help. I pray for the morning hour that, Lord, you'd be lifted up, you'd be exalted and praised. And, Father, help us to be found worthy of you. Thank you for your goodness. I pray, Lord, we live in obedience to thy word. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.